Buonasera! My name is Marcello. I am a tour leader with Explore. Ciao! Come, follow me. Behind this 200 year old gate is the best view of one of Rome's finest fountains. Ah, oh, bellissima! Look at the Renaissance detail, the sunlight in the bronze! Not everyone knows about Turtle Fountain, but you will if you explore. Search explore.co.uk and don't just travel, explore. Are you, like me, a spinster? Are you single, child-free and tired of the stigma attached to your situation in life? Are you actually having a bloody great time living your best life while all of your friends are tied up with their husbands and kids? If you think being a spinster is actually pretty awesome and you want to change the old-fashioned narrative, you want people to realize that not having a relationship or kids gives you the freedom to live a fabulous life all on your own terms. If this is you, then you've come to the right place. If, on the other hand, you're a spinster who isn't feeling quite so great about it, you've also come to the right place. Because I want you to feel great about it. I want you to know that your life is just as valid, valuable, and meaningful as anyone else's. If you're also interested in personal growth and working on yourself to become the best possible version of you, then you're in luck. Because we're also going to be talking about my other obsession, personal development and how we can use the extra time we've been gifted due to our lack of relationship in children and use that time to really become the people we want to be. I'm excited and I hope you are too. Join me every Tuesday for episodes with just me or me and one of my brilliant guests. My name is Lucy Megason. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to Spinsterhood Reimagined. Welcome back to Spinsterhood Reimagined. I hope that you guys are well and having a good week so far. So my guest today is another of my listeners. You may have heard a couple of weeks ago the fabulous Maddie Southern, um, who's also a listener. Basically, the reason I'm doing this is because I had a call with some of my membership members and several of them said that they really wanted to hear from quote-unquote normal people. So today's guest is another listener. She's called Lee Doran, and she's got such an interesting story. Um, One thing I will say, though, is that we talk a lot for the first half of the episode about domestic abuse, because Lee set up her own charity um, for domestic abuse survivors. So just be aware that if if domestic abuse triggers you in any way, then just be aware that we do talk about it. Um, we don't go into any you know graphic detail or anything like that, but it is um, a big part of this conversation. Now, Lee was married and she has a grown-up son. However, she broke up with her husband four years ago and has been single ever since, and she moved out of the family home and into a motorhome. And I love her story so much, and I so enjoyed our conversation. It was just a really easy conversation because she was just really good at being interviewed and yeah I just really enjoyed it and I'm sure that you guys will too I'm sure there's lots in there that you will resonate with so without further ado here is the fabulous Lee Doran Lee Doran yes thank you so much for joining me and a very warm welcome to Spinsterhood Reimagined it's fabulous to have you here and actually you are um, a listener you're part of my kind of I'm going to call it my listener series because as you know we had the fabulous Maddie Southern on a couple of weeks ago and now it's your turn and I love talking to listeners because it's just really you know what and and as you know from our membership conversation 
you guys said that you wanted to hear more from quote unquote normal people, normal listeners. So I'm really, really happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Before we get into this conversation, can you just give me a little bit of information about who you are, what you do? And one thing I will say is that just so the listeners know, you were married and you do have grown up children, don't you? Yeah, I have a son who's 28 this year. Yes. So I just wanted to say to the listeners that I know that I have quite a few listeners who have either been married and or have grown up children or or some not grown up children. Um, but yes, just to clarify that about you, but tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Wow, who I am and what I do. So um, this is a small question to start with. Um, well, my name's obviously Lee. I'm single. I've been on my own now for four years when I'm absolutely loving it. It's It was a huge decision to make at the time, but I listened to my gut and went for it. And in the last four years, I've left the job, the home and all the security that I've ever known and the relationship. So I went from living in a six bedroom house with a swimming pool and a log cabin and everything to living in a motorhome. <laughs> which I've been living in since September uh, 21. So I, it's really hard to explain how freeing it is because now I don't, I'm not tied to anywhere. So I've got two elderly parents and I'm, I'm in that middle of that really challenging 93 and 90 year old of being around the corner. So I'm there for them. So it's very much for me taking stock and taking some breathing space before deciding what my next adventure might be. Yes. How Fabulous. I cannot wait to get into this. Before we do, I know that you're the founder and patron of a domestic abuse charity that you set up yourself in 2015. That's right. Can we let's start there? Because I'd love to know what motivated you to set this up. And I want to know all about it. So speak to that if that's cool. Yeah, sure. So I got to 49, and I think I, I had this internal dialogue going on. It's kind of now or never, you've still got the energy, probably going into menopause, uh, probably, yeah, definitely, I think. This is your last chance to do something that really makes a difference. So I'd come through a journey. I worked for BT. I was in the corporate world for 21 years. So I worked my way up, um, started as a secretary and left as a senior manager. And that was all very corporate and people were staying there for life. You know, it was a that was 11 years ago now. And then I got to 49 and I thought, do you know what? What can you do that's going to make a real difference, that's a legacy? And the history perhaps subconsciously behind some of this was um, my first husband left me with a six-week-old baby. Uh, he was having an affair with with somebody. Um, they're still married and it's a hell of a long time ago now. But I remember going through periods of thinking, who's going to want me? Single parent wasn't my choice. I, I wouldn't have chosen to do that. Um, and it spent, took a lot of time to get over that, for sure. It absolutely devastated me and my family at the time. And I think subconsciously that was always in the back of my mind about what I would call the underdog. So those that don't feel good enough. And I think that sat with me for, for many years. And then somehow along the way, various things happen. I've done quite a different, varied things in my life. I got to a point where I just thought, hmm, Domestic abuse particularly is all about uh, making you feel small, um, insignificant, gaslighting, all the different types of sort of physical and emotional abuse that comes with long term or short term domestic abuse. And I'd been working and helping out with a domestic abuse charity in my local area. And then I just decided we parted ways for a variety of reasons. And I just decided, right, this is your one chance because there was no support in my local area for survivors of uh, domestic abuse at what we call medium and, and standard risk. So not the really high risk, but the medium and low lower standard risk. So I literally thought I'm going to do this. And I have to say it is the thing I'm most proud of, you know, professionally in the whole of my life so literally I was standing in Tesco's the other day getting some shopping early morning and we we sponsored the football team a local football team and had a logo on their shirt so all the first team players were ever you know advocating that domestic abuse is not acceptable and one this lad walked past me in Tesco's with one of my daisy um football shirts on and I just stopped while I was doing picking out my bananas and went yeah that's how I did that and yeah so it started in 2015 and it was sheer hard work determination single-minded focus because there was no money 
So when you start a charity, you've got to have obviously evidence of need. Well, domestic abuse and, and sadly sexual abuse are never going to go away. So there was there was no issue with the, the, the client base. And obviously it's not not for profit. So it's a third sector business. Um, so I literally started it at my kitchen table and I did it and I self-funded it for the first nearly 18 months. And I decided on the uh, the name of the charity, literally sat there one Sunday afternoon with a notepad and pen and brainstormed the name because to me the name was important because that was going to be our brand obviously and I wanted it to be really memorable so I went for DAISY which is an acronym of domestic abuse intervention supporting you so breaking the chains of domestic abuse in Breckland where I live in Norfolk so and I loved it and it just it just came literally one afternoon and then obviously you're very alone when you're running a charity. And I, I don't know, you know, your listeners might, might relate to this, some of them, or those that work um, self-employed as I am now. It's a very lonely journey because there's only you motivating you to do anything. So I was absolutely determined. At the same time, I was running a bed and breakfast, which I did for 10 years. So that was giving me some income to me to de- devote to sort of devote a hell of a lot of time to getting this charity off the ground. So I started by ringing my local children's centres who were there at the time. They've now sadly been um, uh, not funded anymore. And um, they were like over the moon because they were like, oh, my gosh, this is so needed in our local community. And then they started lending, letting me use use rooms for free. I'd done some training with the Freedom Programme, which is an educational, psycho-educational programme about domestic abuse and impact. Uh, so I started delivering. They um, Somebody paid for some books. I think it was one of the children's centres. So I got the, the first course off the ground and then it just gradually grew and grew. But I have to say the first, I'd say the first three, three and a half years, it's so easy to give up. It's so easy to say you're banging your head against a brick wall because getting funding is a nightmare. Uh, And the first time I got £10,000 of funding, I think I I probably did cry because 10K is like, oh my gosh, you know, and because you have to build on a reputation, but funders look at who else is funding you. So that gets the ball rolling and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So then the charity grows and grows. So uh, by the time I decided my time was up there, so to speak, um, which I can talk about, which was last year, uh, had a team of 15 people and we'd just been uh, successful at Tender to provide the service for domestic abuse across the whole of Norfolk. I think it's a six six point five million pound contract over f- up to five years, and I'm um, we were part of that consortium. We weren't the lead partner, but we were a uh, you know a forty percent shareholder in. And so I I took it in in eight years, seven years actually, to from that to that. And I absolutely love it. But I think the most important thing is to be congruent, real, honest, straightforward, and believe in everyone that you come across obviously your clients but most importantly invest in your team and really make sure they feel valued because I've come across it since I've left and it's not how I used to run my my ship so to speak so yeah yeah oh absolutely incredible I just I I'm just gobsmacked I think it's just amazing I, I I you know massive respect I take my hat off to you seriously that is just such an incredible thing that yeah. you've done now there are, I mean, lots of questions spring to mind, but two that sort of stand out that I want to just go into now. Firstly, I know you mentioned very briefly, you know, why you decided to set up a domestic abuse charity, but could you go into that in a little bit more detail in terms of what was it exactly that that motivated you to go into that area, into that topic? I mean, it, which is clearly... A, a hugely hugely important topic and you know I think most of us know how rife domestic abuse is and it's perhaps not talked about half as much as it should be Mm -hmm. so I think it's and you might know this from listening to the podcast that in my five minutes as a detective I actually worked in safeguarding yeah so I came across many 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 people in domestic abuse situations and it's just so common um, frighteningly so. But can you speak a bit more to exactly what it was that drove you towards that particular area of life? I think it was it was related, as I said previously, about my story of 
we ha we support men and women, but the majority of our client base is, is women. It's about no one's believing them. No one's giving them any autonomy. No one's ever saying, you're brilliant, you're fantastic. Come on, you can do this. Believing in them, lifting them out of the quagmire of abuse. And I just felt a huge passion to help facilitate that. So not only I was very much my charity is very much about recovery and st and still is. So it's not the immediate risk. It's the recovery of how do I build my life after this? Because there are a percentage of women that go back repeatedly because the perpetrator has got into their head to such a degree that they can't think straight. So what I wanted to do was build a, an organization where people could come and feel listened to and you're brilliant. Well, you can do this and you can do that. So a number of the service users then became volunteers and I'm actually we're actually employing them now. So they've gone from coming through the door. And I, when I say broken, that's that I don't mean that in a patronizing way, but we have I've heard everything over the last eight years. And the difference and the change in, in some of my, my, my I call them my team. I, I shouldn't say that now, but the team is amazing. And I, it's the feeling, it's a, it's a sort of a feeling you get of looking at someone and going, well, you can do that. Of course you can do that. Oh, 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 you know, not do it with you, but I've done that. I'll, I'll show you how you can do it. And you can do that and jobs and getting out and maybe dating again safely, all sorts of things, sorting out finances and everything. So for me, it was that passion of there's so many people that keep themselves small because a they've been brainwashed into it and don't have the resources and the skills at that time to bring themselves out of that and the self belief i mean you know we're still in society as i said most majority of perpetrators are men, are men and some um, some women of course but it's this you know this bartering and the whole issue around children i mean i could talk for hours and i won't but it's about a power it's about power and i wanted to empower women to know that it's okay so you know i barely shared my story because it slightly wasn't relevant I and mean, i touched before we started recording that there were elements in my first marriage that were bordering on abusive not physically but emotionally but of course at 21 21 22 well i wouldn't have had a clue i'd have red flag now and I'd been away but no you don't you know who we are at 22 is not who we are in our 50s let's just say so yeah it's and we've done some amazing things we've done fashion shows I got clients who so the big thing is with domestic abuse is you want to keep yourself small so eye contact's an issue keeping not allowed to wear makeup uh, wearing dowdy clothes covering your body up uh, and we did a fashion show oh good few years ago now but I got some of my clients to be models Brilliant, and it was just the, the the best because they were strutting themselves down the, the catwalk. I got the makeup done and their hair, and we're like, yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. It's just so it's just so damn cool what you're what you've done. It really is. I, I you know, I, I just as I say, I'm huge respect. I'm I'm amazed by you. I think it's just fabulous. Now, in the context of this podcast about single women, yeah. I think, and I'd, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this because you're so much more informed about this topic than I am, but I would love to know your thoughts around the risk of women ending up in a, an, um, an abusive relationship because they would rather be in a relationship than be on their own. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's sort of two aspects, well, there's many aspects to that, but what I'm trying to say is I think there's a danger that people are going to get into a relationship that ends up being abusive because people are ignoring red flags because they're more concerned about being single than the red flags. And let me just say, done it myself. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you'll know from, from the one where I talk about sex that I got involved with a guy who was blatantly. Yeah. yeah I heard that one. I was like, oh, okay. right. <laughs> I mean, and 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 it's so it's so interesting looking back, and I I I like to think and believe that I've come far enough from that point in my life, which was you know only a few years ago, that I now would not ignore red flags. But at the time, I one hundred percent ignored those red flags. Mm. So the first sort of bit of what I'm asking is, what are your thoughts on? the danger of single women who aren't enjoying being single and their priority is getting into a relationship that they may well ignore 
domestic abuse, red flags. And I know this can be incredibly difficult to, it's not always obvious. It's not always obvious, especially in the beginning when somebody is being amazing and wonderful and you're like, oh my God, and it's going really fast and you're just kind of going along with it. Hmm. Can you speak to that? Yeah, sure. Well, swept off your feet. Yeah. You know, that old, the old fairy tales, isn't it? Of Prince Charming, this guy swoops in and, you know, by the second day he's, you know, buying you flowers and telling you he loves you. I mean, we're as you say we've we've all been in relationships let's put it out there that were like what was i doing that was where, where, what was that all about but i think contextually around domestic abuse because you've been brainwashed to believe that you're stupid ugly fat smell various vile things okay i won't go into the detail of it any attention is better than none so you get a lot of codependence in domestic abuse re- relationships you know you get the the, the drama triangle the Cartman drama triangle you know it won't go into detail of that but you know it's it's attention from someone so you, most domestic abuse survivors have been brainwashed into believing they can't do anything on their own mm. so um well you can't drive to london well what if the car breaks down or what if you take a wrong turn or puts doubts in your mind all the time so when you find yourself alone it can be also domestic abuse relationships can be addictive you know they can be really addictive where you you crave that highs i mean they come with huge highs and huge lows because the perpetrator will go through the you know the honeymoon period they'll be sorry for their actions then they'll start the cycle of abuse you know they'll start the i'm really sorry that'll never happen again i'll go to i'll go to a counselor will you come with me i can't live without you if i don't live with you if in my life i'll kill myself or the, the children or anything like that and then they take them back and then it all begins again but when the cycle is eventually uh broken a lot of survivors of domestic abuse and women in general when they've lived long-term relationships are like oh okay you know, because it is still, and, and the theme of your, your podcast, which I listen to religiously, is about society still feels that we should be with somebody, whether they're decent or not, because it's better than being on your own, which obviously to me is utter rubbish. My last marriage, I've been married twice, I could have stayed in that, happily sort of getting on with my life, uh, financially okay, looking forward to a secure pension and, and retirement. And I thought, I can't live like that. But I had the resources within me through my upbringing, which was created a very independent person. And not every client and person that I've worked with has that. So a lot of childhoods, I don't know if you've heard of ACEs, which is um, Adverse Childhood Experiences, they inform the way that our upbringing has, has taught us to get out of the family home as quick as you can with the first person that comes along. Because it's worse there than it could be there. So therefore, they um, they they get out and get into a relationship. It's not healthy. And anyone who shows, so if you don't have the confidence in yourself to say, actually, I'm worth it. No, I don't want to go out on a date with you. I don't want to talk to you. Uh, I'm busy today. You know, building their own lives. Any attention, male attention, is like, oh, I'm 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 worth it. I'm valuable. I have a, a currency, so to speak. So therefore, I'll go out with you, I'll go out with you. And a number of clients go back into either the same abusive relationship or into a series of abusive relationships. So what we do at Daisy is trying to educate, but you're okay on your own. What have you done? You know, the courses that we deliver, you've done this, evidence-based. So building that confidence up that you just don't go out with the first person who shows an interest in you. You choose to be more you know um picky if that's the word yeah but it's a real you're talking about ingrain i mean i counselor as well so you're talking about ingrained behaviors from childhood which are really hard to work on and Mm. and also you've got to have that self-awareness that you realize you've got a problem yeah completely i mean it's it's, you know (laughs) awareness is something i'm bordering on obsessive about because i understand that in order to make any change the very first step is awareness it just if you, if we don't have an awareness then we cannot make a change one thing actually you mentioned the drama triangle and you said I'm not going to go into it but can you just just briefly tell us about what that is and also remind me that what I wanted to say next is talking about the whole self-esteem issue because obviously self-esteem is a massive massive thing when it comes to you know life in general let alone domestic abuse yeah okay so i'll talk to you about the the cartman drama triangle um probably need my glasses on if that's okay 
So it, with the drama triangle, it's a it's about a human interaction. So you've got the persecutor, the rescuer, and then the victim. And what you what you can do is you can move around the drama tr- drama triangle. So relationships shift. They're all about flexing and changing attitudes. So when you when you've got those three coming into play, you can actually move around. So the the persecutor will then become the victim, i.e., I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. You know, I shouldn't have drunk what I drunk last night. And by the way, alcohol's no excuse for domestic abuse. I didn't mean that. And then they become they move around. So they become the persecutor and then they move around to the victim. So it's about it's it's an interesting concept. Um it's about, you know, understanding that we all move around a continuum and mm. then we go into the rescuing. So if you're in a domestically abusive relationship, you want to rescue your perpetrator from their behavior. So I've spoken to clients a lot of times and said, I understand you still love him. That's okay, but you can't live with those behaviours. Yeah. And that's quite powerful because I'm not dismissing the love they have for someone who treats them appallingly because they love they love the person. That's their choice. We're not here to judge. But it's you cannot live with those behaviours because, you know, in X months, years, you might not even be here anymore. Yeah. So it's about moving through those that triangle and, and understanding that a lot of domestic abuse survivors want to rescue the perpetrator. Yeah. So they'll get they'll get the court they'll get you know from your brief stint in the in the police, you know there'll be an assault charge, and then the you know the 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 person who's been assaulted will drop the charges. Yeah. Oh, and so many times that happens. Yeah. So many and, times. And also, don't get me started on the court system in this country and the backlog on court cases. And, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? We'd have to do another episode about that. (laughs) But I'm completely with you, Leah. I could could talk about that until the cows come home. Yeah. Now, let's just dive into self-esteem a bit because... And, and and actually, in the context of, again, in the context of this podcast... What advice would you give to women out there who perhaps are in in an abusive relationship but hesitate to leave partly because they're scared of being alone? Because and and obviously that that, you know, feeds into lack of self-esteem, lack of confidence, lack Mm. of belief in yourself. What do you say to women who might perhaps be in this in, in that situation? From from my perspective. It's this education around majority of those who've lived through domestic abuse have been told it's their fault. So if you didn't do this, then I wouldn't do that and I wouldn't lose it. You know, if you just don't go out tonight, you know, I said don't go out tonight and you and you went. So look, that was the result, you know, black eye or whatever. Yeah. So it's about understanding the behaviours of the perpetrator and that they are never going to change. So you either, you know, you could say suck it up and stay with it. But then the fear becomes so great because domestic abuse tends to creep over time. It starts, not always, but it starts with the controlling, et cetera, the emotional, psychological abuse. Then it might move on to financial abuse. Then it might move on to sexual abuse. And then it might move on to physical violence. Not all perpetrators are what we call high risk. There are a larger percentage of people that live in what we call low level. Now, when I say low level, I don't mean any in any scenario is domestic abuse acceptable, but they live with low level abuse. So the amount of people that I have worked with who had no idea that that was actually abuse, i.e. somebody once many years ago, um, OK, bank bank card. No, I don't have a bank card. Well, where is your bank holder? He's got it. Oh, OK. Um, so she had to ask and if she behaved herself, she could have an ice cream with the kids as well because he'd only let her have a five-pound note. Out of her account, she had a separate account. But anyway, so it's it's really about building the confidence of the person by saying, look, you don't have to live like this. We can support you to understand that this set of circumstances is never going to change unless you tow the line and you continue to walk on eggshells Every time I've heard that expression, I could be rich beyond measure because if I do as I'm told, everything will be okay. So you get your brain gets scrambled. So the thought of actually leaving and then you bring children into the mix yeah. is 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 really scary. Yeah. So 
Um, you know, I've sat with many a client when the police have come and they, they come to our premises sometimes because the client is so scared because they don't believe they're going to be heard. So we believe them. Yes, we believe you. And I've looked, client. I can remember a client actually, um, and I saw her not long ago, Not she didn't see me. And I can remember, I looked her straight in the eye and I said, you, you can do this. We believe you. It's okay. And she shared her story with the police because that's another concern. So it's about understanding that you need to educate the person that's in front of you or the wider audience about what's acceptable. But, but, but building the self-esteem, it is really tricky, but... And you are working, as, as I mentioned earlier, about historical stuff through childhood. So you're trying to break through and work your way through like a huge forest of stuff to get to the person at the heart of it all. Yeah. And you lead by example. So I, I do very subtle things. So I used to deliver a confidence course. We've changed it now. So that was to build self-esteem. I wrote it myself. It was to, it, to encourage people to do the simplest things, like talk to the person at the Tesco's checkout. Now you you and I might go rabbit on. I mean I'm terrible. Oh hello. Some people eyes down, can't make contact, can't look at anyone. Oh no. Mm. Um, smile and just say hi or just I said, you know, if you if you that's perhaps your task for this week. If you don't do it, that's okay. If you mm. do get it done, you can come and tell us next week and I'm gonna do it myself. So mm. I always do what I said I would do if I wanted somebody else to consider doing it as well. So mm. you'd never make it a big thing, you know, like go and give a presentation you'd make it small and then when clients used to walk through the door I used to do this a lot oh my god I love your shoes they're awesome where'd you get those oh what you're looking at me you know it's subtle yeah. in fact I saw somebody yesterday in another role I'm doing at the moment and you know there's a lot of story there and I walked through the door and I looked at her I did I looked at her shoes I said oh I love your shoes they're really cool and it throws people yeah. Because you're looking at them. Yeah. You're not looking at their story. You're yeah. not looking at their trauma. You're looking at them. And that's what they've put on this morning. And I think I said they're really cool, aren't they? Oh, no, that's so lovely. It's such a, I, I so know what you mean. I mean, my heart just breaks for all these people who are in these kinds of situations. But look, I mean, what you're doing is, is absolutely incredible. So, seriously keep doing it, which I'm sure you will and and you obviously are so passionate about it and I'm sure you are brilliant with your clients now let's talk about your situation as you said earlier you don't live a quote-unquote conventional life at the moment and I absolutely love this so as you said you were married to your second husband you lived in a six-bed house and you 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 now live in a, a motorhome, which I've got a note of, of the name of it here, the Gin Tin, which it is, is the gin so tin. brilliant. And you've been living in this motorhome for nearly two years. Yeah. Now, this is just too awesome. I can't even handle it. I'm actually really jealous. Tell us about this journey that you've been on from from leaving your second marriage to now living in a motorhome, which, and it's one of those things, isn't it? I remember saying on a podcast um, quite a long time ago, how with my situation, um, you know, I'm 47, I'm, you know, heading for 50, I'm single, I don't have kids, I live in a studio flat. And if I wanted, I could go, oh my God, I'm 47, I'm single, I don't have kids and I live in a studio flat. But it's, it's the way we frame things. It is your perspective. And you know, from obviously from you, this is, you are a brilliant example of this because you've moved out of this big old house with a husband and security and, blah, 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 and now you're living on your own and you're single and you're living in a motorhome. Now, I think that's awesome. And you clearly are, uh, you come across to me as happy, confident, sorted. So talk to me about this. Okay, so calm, confident, sorted, absolutely, yes, I am. But leaving it is still a huge wrench. You know, you've built some history and then it's over. But, you know, I will only speak from my perspective on this, that I was just losing myself. I was becoming somebody else that I didn't like in terms of coming home and, and sort of dumbing down what I was doing, losing my vibrancy, my, my sharpness, my laughter, just becoming really drained and I was feeling it so I like because I teach yoga I'm a yoga teacher I, I did that in lock just after lockdown, kind of in lockdown it was a feeling for me and it was a somatic feeling in my body 
So there's the head and the heart, isn't there? We live with our head and our heart. And I was living very much in my head. No, keep going. You can do this. Great. You can still have your, I've got a horse. Can still have your horse. Can still do this. Can still do that. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then my heart was saying, you can't, you what, another 30 years maybe of this? No way. So, you know, we parted on good terms. It has been difficult. He moved on way. I mean, I've not, not been out with anyone. I've been completely on my own for four years. He moved on very quickly, but that that's the choice, isn't it? And that was hard to come to come across that. So originally, I wanted to buy a um a, a barge, a, a narrowboat. That was what I wanted. But narrowboats are easy to buy, but it's getting the um moorings. They're like gold dust, yeah. and because I've got my parents that I'm very close to, I couldn't go miles away. So that kind of fell by the wayside. And then I wanted to get get a van conversion, these really cool ones. And they can be silly money. And I didn't really want to, I didn't have silly money because my money's in the house. So I thought, no. So I bought a bog standard older motorhome in case I didn't like it. And I, I live with my little dog. She's asleep at the minute, Tia. And at the moment, I feel I could just, I could just like, I feel like a tortoise. So I, I'm like a tortoise because my, my home goes with me. So when I used to go for my yoga training courses, I think, oh my God, have I got this? And I thought, oh no. It's all with me. <laughs> so I used to go off to my early teacher training and everything was with me, including the dog. So it was, it's been empowering and it's really interesting to see people's reactions. So I've actually been called a legend, which I thought was quite awesome. I stopped at this pub with my motorhome and had to park it nearly outside the door, which wasn't great, I didn't think. So I said to the waitress, really sorry, I'm in my motorhome and I've had to park it outside the front door. She went, oh my gosh, is that yours? And I was like, yes. Oh my God, she said, you're a legend. And I was like, oh, never been called a legend before. And then you get the other reactions. If somebody once said, I said, oh, I live in my motor. Oh no, what's happened? I was like, well, nothing. Well, I love it. So this morning I've been out, sun's out. I've had my breakfast. Um, I've been outside on my mat, done my yoga in the sunshine, you know, come on to do the call with you. It's not tying me down. And when I shut my door, I've got all my little sayings and my bits and pieces everywhere around me. And I don't need stuff. So I'm not driven. Obviously, running a charity, you're never going to make me money. You know, I wasn't in it to make six-figure salary. I was in my charity to give back. So obviously, you know, that's impacted my life. You know, I'm not rolling in money by any means whatsoever. But what I have got is internal happiness and I look at the birds outside on the bird feeder and uh, put my music on, like my candles in the winter, put my fairy lights on. I don't need stuff and I don't find myself validated by what I have. So the latest car, the holiday, the restaurants, the this, the that, it doesn't work for me. And everyone's different. It's not a judgment of, but, you know, I could go out and get a loan and get a Porsche if I wanted to don't want a Porsche because happiness is is an inside job can ha- you know look at all the lottery winners I was one reading about a couple of this in the paper you know they've, they were very much in love and now they split up and they've got other partners and they've all changed and they're looking like this and got all the gear and and the high the endorphin rush you get from a new purchase or a, doesn't last you know it does not last and now I can look and take stock got a little bit of money in the bank, go, actually, what do I really want to do? You know, I'm 57. I'm 10 years older than you. So there is hope for in 10 years' time, Lucy, that you'll be well past worrying that you're single. And I know you don't. I'm I'm veering the other way of going, why would I want to be attached? I'm so busy. I've got a lovely life. Where would I fit someone in? And that's not And that's being selfish because, you know, you give your life up to marriage and children. You come out the other side and you're like, yes, zippy. I can do what I like now. Oh, my gosh. You are a girl after my own heart. I am loving this conversation. I'm just loving it. Two things. Let's just quickly go. I'm going to ask you about the, um, you know, you said something I've said many times, which is, you know, happiness is an inside job. And I want to pick up on that, go back to that. But first of all, I want to go back to your motorhome. Yes. Please, can you tell me exactly, describe it to me. What what kind of, so is it um, a motorhome as in one of those classic sort of 
caravan on wheel type things, like an RV. Can you describe it to me just because I'm finding this so fascinating and I want to know and I'm having massive envy. And also the other thing I was going to say is that when you said you wanted to live on a barge, my gosh, I feel you because actually when I bought my flats, I also looked at a houseboat. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, because I've always wanted to live on a houseboat. Yeah. And you'll know from the podcast that I love the river and the water, the yeah, yeah, River yeah. particularly. And the basically, the actual houseboat itself was 250 grand. The mooring fees were oh, £600 a, a month. month. Yeah. So that was £600 a month on top of buying it for 250 grand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that's that's the other consideration. Insania, yeah. especially where you were, maybe it's different where I am. Yes, yes. So mine's very old. Um, it's about twenty years old. It's very like what I would call old fashioned. What so, make is it? Uh, it's a it's a Peugeot Boxer. The main stipulation when I got it was there was enough room to do yoga inside in the winter, and there's enough room for the dog, and that's 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 good because I can do those things. She's only a cocker spaniel, so she's not big. So I sleep. I've got a cabin over the drivers so I climb up a little ladder like a kid going you know the bunk beds yeah I love it did you ever do bunk beds and my my sister and I like oh no going on the top no not the top one or whatever it was I think it was the top one so I climb up my little ladder at night and I have my little spotlights over me and then I've got my book and my glasses so two lots of glasses one up there one down here and I read my book and I've got a skylight and and cetera. and then obviously there's the driving there's, there's obviously the driving and then the main area has got one to five windows um i've got cooking facilities i can cook a roast dinner i've got obviously a fridge storage is kind of challenging because you can't have too many clothes but that's back to my minimal minimalist living type thing and it's lovely and warm in the winter because people say oh is it not really cold no it's harder and more challenging in the summer so do you remember last summer we had that 40 degrees yeah that was that was like living in a in a conservatory basically so that was challenging so I went to mum's for a few days but it's cozy I've got throws on the chairs and I've had them updated I'm going to get some other bits and pieces done and my fairy lights and it's big enough for one you couldn't sleep up there with another person it'd drive insane but the area is big enough for me and Tia and we're absolutely fine oh my gosh Lee I love this so much and isn't it interesting because obviously you and I both live in very small spaces yes the fact is that if you're happy in your head, you yes. can be happy in a small space. Oh, um, absolutely. Right? It's just it's just the way it is. I mean, I've lived in this flat for 10 years. In, yeah. in On June the 13th, it was 10 years since I bought this flat. And it's one room, as you know. I mean, I've put photos of it on Instagram. I've done that a makes, podcast about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, so we both have... I mean, and actually, it's really interesting how... When I moved, when I bought this place and I moved, um, well, I'd moved out of a flat in Shepherd's Bush with my ex ex boyfriend, and when I moved out of that flat, I kind of got rid of a lot of stuff because I moved in with a friend for a couple of years, my friend Claire, who's also been a guest on the podcast. I yes. lived in a room yeah. at her house, and so I got lo- load of, got rid of a load of stuff. But when I moved in here, I had another kind of cull, and so I've got so little stuff. But but it, but what you were talking about earlier about how, you know, you do not place importance on stuff. And you also said that you didn't, you know, you didn't judge and everybody's different. And I and I hear what you're saying, but what I will say is that I think that none of us actually need that stuff. And some of us place far more weight on it than other people. But at the end of the day, I really believe that it's not important for anyone. We might think it's important, but when the shit hits the fucking fan and it's just us a soul in a, having a human experience stuff is just so not important and living in a small space really really proves that doesn't it well when I entered the house I've got a storage unit with some my precious non-fiction my, my workbooks pictures I really wanted um some bits of my sons and that's it so I emptied a six-bedroom house and I took no furniture no furniture whatsoever because I want to start again that's chapters closed Whatever I have in my new home, when if and whatever I decide, will be my stuff. There's no history there. You know, no one else has sat in my sofa. It's mine. And also, don't you find that actually when you leave stuff behind or, you know, you get rid of stuff that feel you feel like you're really attached to it. But when you get rid of it, 
you realize that you weren't as attached as you thought no. you were. Kind of, it's like throwing out old clothes. And I have this rule now. I'm like, Lucy, if you haven't worn this for two years, you're never going to wear it again. Get rid of it. And then you but don't I, miss it. You don't yeah. think about it. And I think, you know, another thing I haven't shared with you is um, Mondays and Tuesdays, because I'm a counsellor now and I'm now, not now at Daisy. And the other thing I wanted to mention is we also work with survivors of sexual abuse because we set up a part of our charity to work with survivors of sexual abuse. That's the Rowan Project. So I just wanted to mention that. So it's that whole abuse line. I actually work two days a week as a counsellor for the Brain Tumor Charity. Wow. So Mondays and Tuesdays, I work with people living with families affected by or those who've been bereaved by brain tumours. Now, I've been doing that a year and it's hugely privileged work. They don't care what they've got because the one thing they want, they can't have. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably informed as well. I started that after the motorhome, so it hasn't. um, But I think that's reinforced and cemented my views about your health oh my gosh your health you know look at all the famous people that have died steve jobs you know paul mccartney's wife hundreds of millions of billions doesn't matter if it wants to take you whatever it is it will and it doesn't matter how much money you've got yeah and i think you know having worked with brain tumors for the brain tumor charity for the last year hugely as i said privileged work to know that that they don't care anything about they just you know, want to make sure that they, they're going to survive. Yeah. So it just puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. It really, really does. Lee, just actually one more very, very brief question about the motorhome. Where do you park up? Do you park up so, in the same place every night? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm on a permanent site, oh, okay. which is great, which means that I've got shower block, washing machine. I've got my whirly bird outside. I've got my little Buddha outside and my plants and oh. everything. So I don't move about because I can't because of probably work but mainly my parents I need to be nearby so oh, I'm, I'm I'm on a permanent pitch but I can just go so yeah, of course you can when you want to go off for a day trip yeah, yeah. you can go and come but you get yeah. to come back to your little patch I love it now talk to me about so when you first left your marital home and obviously like you said there was a massive period of, of adjustment and it was hard how did you get back to yourself how did you start embracing the single life so ironically uh we split six months before we went into lockdown right so the whole world didn't it came to a grinding halt so in some respects for me the first six months passed in a bit of a blur it's like wow okay and then lockdown came in march 2020 and i then started because you couldn't go out, could you? Do you remember those days we had half oh. an hour of exercise? And all that? So I yeah. started really, I'd been doing yoga for five years um, and I really got into online yoga because you couldn't go to class, could you? So I was doing yoga every, every day and getting stronger and I found my mat to be a very grounding, safe place. I don't know if you do yoga. Not regularly, but yes, yeah. I do do it. And in fact, yeah. I, I had a long period of where I didn't do it and now I've started doing it again, so yeah. yeah. So I, I used to get on the mat every day and it was like a ritual on my mat, safe space, grounded, and my strength grew and I did it more and more and more. And then about probably, I, I can't remember the timeline of lockdown now, but I decided, do you know what? I'd really like to learn more about yoga because at the time I was more of thinking of the poses and, and understanding it, not necessarily thinking of teaching, but to actually learn more about the practice and the history and etc. So I signed up to a 300 hour uh, teacher training course and um, it was one of the best. In fact, we had just had a reunion on, on Sunday um, with my fellow peers that were on my course. And it was a be- one of the best things I've ever done because I was at least 20 years older than the other students. And at the first two, two weekends, I was like, Oh, this is a waste of time. Why am I doing this? I'm too old and all that stuff. And then I thought, hang on a minute, Lee, you can be an advocate for the older woman. So I'm in the best shape of my life for at least 20 years, without a doubt, looking better, feeling better, physically, mentally, everything. And I thought, well, I can be an advocate going, having been through the menopause. I'm now out the other side. I can be an advocate for yogas for everyone. 
So you can start, a lot of people say to me, I can't do yoga, I'm not flexible enough. Oh, well, your body, it's your body, your yoga, it's nobody else's. So I started my yoga teacher training and that was for 14 months, once a month, every month. And I used to go in the motorhome, stay away for two nights, do my yoga teacher training and then come home. And I learned so much about me. We did all sorts of things. We learned about history, doing all different types of yoga philosophy practice learning to stand up and teach because years and years ago I used to teach aerobics so I'm used to standing up and talking and teaching and then so it's revisiting all of that not feeling good enough not being able to do some of the poses and the tightness and all that and that really helped me to come back to me which may sound really thinking cheesy but it was it was like I felt stronger inside to therefore face the future of what might come and coming back into being me again, where I'd lost myself so significantly in, in those years previously. So I wouldn't say, oh, everyone run out and get, get on a yoga mat. But, you know, if you look after your body and your mind, you're halfway there. And that then transfers back to the health element. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What have you found to be the best thing about walking away from your relationship and diving into a single life after you know not one but two marriages and having a kid and the reason I ask this specifically is because I have people that listen to this podcast who number one I've had quite a few messages from people saying that they've just come out of a relationship and they're listening to the podcast to kind of you know feel better about being single and I've also had messages from people who are married who want to leave but are scared to leave Yeah, I'd love to get you to speak to them. I think it's about courage to when that that inner voice keeps chipping away at you over, in my case, many years, I finally listened to it and I went, okay, let's do this. And I, and I, and I uh, more or less instigated the, the split. And it's really about if you're not happy, you have one life. Okay, there's a lot of people that are in relationships and I see it who are just going through the motions, you know, living broadly separate lives, but staying married for being married sake. But as a person now who's who's been single for four years, which is not an insignificant period of time, I know what I want, who I am. And I am an individual. So when you think about when you have children, you, you the idea is they what we call individuate. So they they come away from you. When you're in a relationship that's not happy, you compromise, you let things go, you dumb down, you tolerate, you have blazing rows, you you reconcile to a point that makes it that makes it passable or livable with, but you don't really get over that and things grow and then build and build and build. Once you're on your own, I found that it's so empowering and exciting to know and also scary at times because you actually can actually do what the hell you like or not do it. So you don't feel you have to conform. You know, somebody wants to go and do something that you really can't abide that you might go to just, to be, you know, to be kind. You don't have to do any of those things. And yes, you could argue it makes you selfish, but what it does is it gives you freedom to know what you want. There's so many people I know in relationships that talk about we we don't what are you doing this weekend well we're doing well where are you who are you who are you and I think so many couples that are in relationships that aren't particularly happy have got not got a clue who they are they've got no identity other than in a in a relationship that's dysfunctional at some level and I think that's incredibly sad I couldn't agree more. And you'll, well, you'll, you'll know, you'll know exactly how I feel about that. And, and yeah, I mean, everything you're saying is, is in my opinion, so, so, so true. I wanted to ask you one other thing before, well, actually two other things before we wrap up, because I'm aware that we've been going for nearly an hour. What would, but the first thing is, what would you say you've noticed has changed about yourself for the better since you re-singled yourself? Um, I'm more relaxed. I'm more, my confidence that that was getting a bit of a knock has come back. I feel free. I don't 
have someone and I, I can't remember I don't know if it's one of your podcasts or one one I was listening to if you come home in a really good mood and you've had a really good day and you think yes that went really well and you go home and the other half's like deep in a laptop and doesn't even look at you and you go guess what happened today and there's no reaction it immediately takes away the the joy because yeah. you want to share your joy so now when I come home yes I come home to, to the dog you know but I I create that feeling I'm an, quite an internal so I'm an introvert bizarrely I can be an extra as long as the day is long but I love my own company so what I will do is sit and with myself and go oh my gosh I don't need that external validation of someone going oh my god yes it would be nice to be acknowledged but I don't need anyone to encourage me to give me confidence to do anything because I'll do it anyway. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. So really get to know who you are. And in a relationship, you're just a we. And that's not me being dismissive of happy, contented relationships, because I think that must be lovely. Sadly, I've never known it. You know, I've never known it because obviously I would still be my, with my first husband. So you do sometimes question, well, is there something wrong with me? Why can others, but then you look at what people are tolerating and you see, and obviously as a counsellor, I see the, the, the subtleties and I think, well, I, could, I wouldn't, couldn't live with that anyway. So you learn who you are and what you want and you've got freedom. So mm. if you don't want to cook dinner, you don't, you know, you have beans and toast or <laughs> random things. And yes, you, you don't have that tactileness, you know, you're not having that, I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about physical, someone's got your back. But that was always missing in my relationship anyway. So it was always everyone for themselves. So that wasn't so bad for me. But you you do miss that kind of connection sometimes. But the biggest thing is I'm no longer lonely. I was more lonely in it than I never get lonely now. Because you're not feeling that there's someone in your room who's not connecting with you, you're not connecting with them. I'm not saying, it's, you know, there's two sides to every story and I'm not perfect, but you don't feel lonely anymore. And the loneliness in a relationship is crippling. Yeah. Isn't that so interesting and so, so true? Um, and I'm sure lots of people can relate to that. Yeah. You have made this such an easy interview for me. You've been such a great person to interview seriously you 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 really really have I've I've just yeah you've you've made it easy um I want to ask you a question that you'll know because you listen to the podcast but let's finish with what advice would you give to those women who are not feeling great about being single and being on their own and perhaps they've come out of a relationship or perhaps they've been single for years what words of wisdom would you have for those women I would say find what find what brings you joy so we talk about happiness you know i want to be some clients will say to me i just want to be happy and i'm like wow that's an enormous thing how are you going to be happy what sparks joy in you so acting in a in a yogic kind of mindful way what are the simple subtle things in your day that bring you joy is it lighting that candle at the end of that day is it looking out the window seeing the sunshine you've got to pare it down because what we tend to do when we're single is project into the future of oh my god what if i'm still like this in 15 years time will it always be as rubbish as it is now no live for today so what you know if you read books i mean i'm an avid reader you get that book and you think oh my god i've got my book to start or music or gardening or cooking or anything go to the things that bring you joy don't try to start looking immediately for things outside of you because some people start going partying don't they and start you know, maybe sleeping around, looking for that attention, which we've referred to earlier, but really listen to you. And it's scary and it's frightening. And do you know what? It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be frightened of the future. And it's okay to think, oh my God, what have I done? How am I going to manage this? You know, the first year for me was horrible. The first year was awful, but I did it. And I think it's pers it's persevering with it and breaking the day down and just doing little things that make you feel a little bit better about you and connecting that like I've connected with you, which I find really interesting. I'm so excited about what we're going to be doing. Um, but it's about understanding because you've lost yourself in that relationship. A lot of the reasons you've left it or you've it's been let, you know, you've been left is it's you've lost yourself so you want to start 
what do I want? Journaling. I journal most days. I write, you know, um, that's really important. I reflect on a day or a behavior or something that's happened. I was doing it quite a lot when I was dismantling the house, coming home and putting it all down on paper. You know, meditation is great, keeping you in the moment. Because, you know, I talk a lot to clients. We, we're very poor at being in the moment so we're either projecting onto the future which causes anxiety because we haven't got a clue what's coming or we're going back to the past of why didn't it work what was wrong with me what was wrong with us why couldn't I've made it better why couldn't we yeah look at my friends they're still together why did it go wrong and then you get into the depression yeah you've got to start living in the moment and keep it in the day so just just one day at a time yeah and go for it from there and you know it is all possible. Uh, I lost myself. Oh, my God, I completely lost myself. And it's taken this long. And the last, I say this year, definitely I'm back. Yeah. What a fabulous answer. Thank you so much. I mean, truly, Lee, this has just been an absolute joy of a conversation. You know what? That's the the quickest hour it's just gone like that which is completely thanks to you nothing to do with me so thank you thank you thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast I hope you've enjoyed it I've loved it yeah it's it's nice because obviously I listen to your podcast all the time and you've had you know you've got people with PhDs and written books and done all this I thought oh what am I going to talk about but I like to think well look I'm just an ordinary person with no degree never got a degree wasn't the brightest in the school my emotional intelligence has got me where I am. And that's just as important as, as your, your IQ. Oh my gosh. 100%. I talk about this to my nephews and my niece frequently. Yeah. They are in the midst of, well, my eldest nephew has now, he's has left school. He's at university studying music, but my, the triplets, they are about to turn 17 and they've just done their mock A-levels. And my sister gets really annoyed at me because I'm always saying to them, guys, please, do not put too much pressure on yourselves for your exam results because I'm telling you now, they are not going to define you or the rest of your life or how successful you're going to be. And in fact, when I was, you know, I've just been in France for a week and I was talking to my two girlfriends out there and we were having this exact conversation and I'm, because it's something I'm so passionate about that academic intelligence is all very well, but just because you get straight A's at school, that does not initiate, that does not automatically translate as having a successful life because what is so much more important in my opinion anyway, and you know, it sounds like it is to you from what you just said, but it is emotional intelligence. And there are, you know, there are different kinds of intelligence and actually being, the, the problem is, I think, I mean, Christ, now I'm going to start banging on about the education system, but I, if I was in charge of the of the education system it would be very very different put it that way I think we're teaching kids completely the wrong things but anyway it is it's a it's a real um passion of mine because it's so frustrating when when kids today think you know they feel all this pressure to do so well in exams and it's like you know what what's going to get you far in life is who you are as a person and how you relate to people and your energy don't even get me started on energy I'm Given that we've already, oh, wrapped yeah, yeah. Up, don't even get me started because otherwise we'll be here for another hour. But um, yeah, how can people find you and connect with you and follow you? Well, ironically, I've been off of social media completely for for quite a few weeks, months now. As much I, I dip into your um, your group page, um, so I've got a website. Um, obviously, I'm a counselor. I also do some some coaching elements. I did a therapeutic coaching course, um, which has enabled me because I really want to help people who perhaps are in small businesses or want to get something started or a charity so that they've got sounding board because what I found when I was starting mine there's there's nothing out there it's a very lonely place which I alluded to at the beginning of our session today so it's about being that person behind someone going come on yes you can do this you know a bit like some of the stuff you do it's 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 trying to help people so I've got a website thebutterflyprogram.org.uk and it's got all of everything that I do on there and you can contact me through there. Fabulous. I'll put it in the show notes because it sounds yeah. to me like, you know, any single women out there or any women who are looking to perhaps leave a relationship, yeah. it sounds like they could do with some coaching from Lee Doran. So guys, check out the show notes where I'm going to put Lee's website details. 
thank you so much for coming on. I've loved talking to you and we'll be in touch because you're part of the membership. So I'll see you on another call on our live call next Sunday. All right. Thanks a million. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Lee. I'm sure you did. Isn't she fabulous? I absolutely loved speaking to her. So I'm sure you will have enjoyed listening to it. Thank you so, so much for listening. Um, It really does mean a hell of a lot to me that you take time out of your no doubt busy lives to listen to my podcast. I, I can't tell you how much it means to me. So thank you. If you have enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Spinsterhood Reimagined, please consider leaving me a preferably five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you listen on Apple Podcasts. It really doesn't take too long, but it would honestly mean the world to me. Reviews are everything. And I'm very, very grateful for the many of you who've already left me amazing reviews but it really, really does help um, other people find the podcast, other people who might benefit from hearing it, who might need to hear these kinds of conversations. So if you haven't already left me a review, I would so appreciate it if you could do that. Um, If you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, then you can always just rate the podcast on Spotify and that would be equally fabulous. So thank you in advance. Follow me on Instagram at Spinsterhood Reimagined. That is the social media platform where I'm by far the most active. I can't pretend that I do very much on either Twitter or LinkedIn, but you know, feel free to follow me on those too if you want I've barely have any any um, followers on those but yeah Instagram is really the place where I'm the most active so yeah come and follow me there if you fancy it um you can always reach out to me via email my email address is lucy at lucymegason.com that's l-u-c-y at l-u-c-y-m-e-g-g-e-s-o-n.com send me an email anytime I do reply to every single email sometimes it does take me a few days to respond but I do respond to everyone so yeah shoot me an email if you fancy it and also I always love getting guest recommendations finding a guest every single week can sometimes be challenging to say the least so you know I'm always really appreciative if you give me recommendations of people that you'd like to hear from and they don't have to be you know like famous or celebrities or have gazillions of followers anyone you feel would be a good fit for the podcast I would definitely be interested in hearing about so that would be awesome okay well I think that is quite enough for me for one Tuesday have a fabulous week and I will see you guys back here on Saturday for my mini-sode but in the meantime don't forget that one day one fine wonderful fucking awesome day I'm gonna get Jennifer Aniston on this podcast Yes, I bloody am. And I can't wait. I'll see you soon. Take care. Lots of love.